can we just pray for our message today that I want to pray that our hearts would be prepared to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say for each of us. I know you just spent a bunch of time soaking in the Holy Spirit, right, through worship, and that is really, really, really good. Some of us, once we get to the talking part, it's hard sometimes to focus. We start thinking of all the demands and needs at home, right? But I would just hope that none of this is wasted. None of this time is wasted. That maybe God would soak in and we would become different people because we came today. I believe that something supernatural is happening today. And that is because we are in the house of God. So let's go ahead and just pray a little bit. Yeah. Heavenly Father, have your way here in this place. We are in your house. Therefore, Holy Spirit, you have free reign to do whatever you want. Our answer is already yes, because we know that you are good. We know that you want what is best. We know that we are here for your glory. We're asking that, Lord, that you would not allow uh, the enemy or any distractions to distort the message that we have today. We would like to hear directly from your heart. Father, would you allow my brothers and sisters here to be able to not only filter what's going on in their own minds, but to filter what I say. The Lord, they would only listen to what is true from you. So God, would you make us sensitive to your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. And you may want to grab a Bible. There should be one under the seat in front of you. And we can begin. We are in part two in a series entitled, Who is Like Our God? We're going through the book of Micah, right? And let me get a couple things out here. I'm very clear that nobody's doing Monday morning coffee devotions in Micah. I mean, I get that, right? Nobody's like, you know what I need? A little bit more judgment in the morning. That's fantastic, right? That'll start me off, right? Okay, I get it. Those of you that are scripture divers, which I think are pretty much all of us, scripture diving is the lazy way of reading the Bible. It's, Lord, I need a word here. Okay, I know that you're doing it, right? And here's the other thing I know. Whenever you do this and it opens up to Micah, you go, and one more time, Lord, and you kind of like zoom ahead. So I'm totally cool with that. I get it. But here, here's the reality. The reality is that when we see a book like Micah, That is predominantly a book speaking of judgment. That book should not remain closed to us because we serve a good God. If we serve a good God and he is saying something or doing something, there's a purpose in it. If we dig deep enough, we find out there is goodness even in that book. Let me give you an example. I don't know how many of you heard the lore, right? Or heard... The, the the great stories of the year of Revelation. Anybody was here during the year of Revelation? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a number of you that were here with me. A whole year on the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was like the scariest book as a kid ever. I hated that book. I was trying to avoid it all the time. What's interesting is in the book itself, it says, encourage one another with these words. I was like, oh, I must be missing it, right? I'm not encouraging myself with these words. But what was the point? The point was anytime you see God come in strong, he's rescuing someone. 
And so whenever you see a book of judgment, always remember that a good God is protecting someone, rescuing someone, setting someone free. How do you think your prayers are supposed to be answered? Because every time you pray, usually it's Lord set this free or change this scenario. How's that going to happen? If you are a young person in Uganda praying for the freedom and the, and the removal of corruption in your country, how do you think that's going to happen? Is it not going to get messy? Is it not going to be regime change? Is it not going to be upheaval? That's kind of how it goes. So in other words, every judgment book is really the answer to prayers. Sometimes the answer to your prayers, my prayers, is systemic upheaval. And that sure seems harsh. But what is behind it all? Remember, if you're seeing God come in swinging, it is either wrath or correction, usually both. Wrath is not for God's children. I need you to hear that. Wrath means I'm just wiping you out. We're done doing that. That's never the case with God's children. God's children can be corrected. God's children can even have punishment. They do not have wrath. Because everything God brings in that is harsh upon us, it is to make us better. It is always for our good. It is always to bring us more freedom, to set us more alive. So whenever we see God come in strong, I want you to look through the situation into the heart of a good, good father. Amen? That's what we're going to do today. Uh, If you want to take a look at the fill in the blank there on the sheet in front of you, I'm just going to give you a couple lines and I'll give you that. I'm going to begin with a shocker of the day. You ready? You don't need to write this down. This is, this is, uh, earth shattering. You ready? Our nation and our world are not following the Lord in all things. Oh, hey, whoa. Might want to write that down. Who knew that? Okay, if that was a shock to you, I would like to suggest that you crawl out of the hole that you're in and engage the rest of us. All right, so of course that's true, right? But what it means is that there is the world's way and there is God's way. The world's way and God's way. And when I say world, what I'm not talking about is the mall, right? I'm not talking about just tangible items. I'm not talking about, oh, it's Christians against everybody else. That's not what I'm saying. The world is the systems that are anti-God. Whatever systems are anti-God, that is defined as the world. So what would be a system like that? What is diametrically opposed to God? Well, it may not be as overt as you think it is. Your mind probably triggers on stuff like sex trafficking or or harm to somebody else. Hold on. How about humanism? How about the very concept that we are the center of the universe, we're the most important, and everything is about us? The world will tell you you're number one. You look out for you. It's all about you. We will cater to you. That is completely contrary to the Bible. 
The Bible says that God is the center, that all things are about Him, that we were even designed for Him. So who's right? God is right. See, there are things going on in our world that are not in alignment with God. But God's way is towards abundant life, not just now, but for eternity. So how do we get there? That is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. There is hope for those that follow the king. There is hope for those that follow the king. I understand that we all have a bit of a rebellious spirit, right? I mean, there's a little bit of an angst, especially in Americans, right? We come from a revolutionary background. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-revolution. We, we serve a revolutionary God. Jesus was a revolutionary. Paul the apostle was a revolutionary. I'm not saying that there's a problem with that. I'm saying, who are you battling against? If the rebellion of our heart is against God and we're being rebellious against his spirit, we have a problem. If our spirit is so aligned with God that we are rebelling against that which is anti-God, right on, right? Here's the point. The point is we need to follow God. We don't need to command God. We don't need to tell God what's up. We don't need to suggest to God all of our plans. We don't need to get mad at him when he disagrees with us. We are to follow. Can we do that? Because if we do follow God, we will find the fulfillment of our lives. We'll understand our meaning. We'll understand our purpose. And everything takes on a different shine, a different glow. We begin to have this deep understanding of how the world works. But only if we follow God are we going to be able to do that. Uh, Let's see. Would you turn with me if you can find it to the book of Micah? Micah chapter 2, I believe it's page 776, something like that in the Bible in the seat in front of you. 776 is my guess kind of hard to find there all right good 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 micah chapter 2 verse 1 let me recap our very own pastor parnell lovelace kicked off this series brilliantly last week by leading us through chapter 1 if you do not remember last week which i I, you know what y'all don't stay here when we go home right (laughs) you don't just sit here and just wait for the next message right okay good good You probably had a lot of distractions since last time, so let me give you a recap. Micah's a prophet of God. The nation of Israel has a crazy history where they split north and south. I'm sure America knows nothing about that. They had a civil war. The north did their own thing. The south did their own thing. And they even had their own kings, their own prophets. But as time went on, the north was so wicked... That God wiped them out with the Assyrians. And then the south had to pay tribute to the Assyrians. Basically, they said, we'll give you our lunch money, our milk money, if you don't beat us up. And the Assyrians said, cool, as long as you're not going to cause me a problem, we'll leave you where you're at. There in the south was where Micah was. He was a contemporary of a guy named Isaiah. 
There in the south, in the capital of Jerusalem, Micah began to look around and he began to listen to God. And God began to say, Micah, what are you seeing out there? I'll tell you what I see. I see that with Assyrians wiping out the north, it has completely reshifted our economy. I see that now there's a bunch of land opening up and a bunch of people got removed and killed in war. And I'm seeing that landowners are going around and they're starting to acquire different parcels of land. I'm starting to see that those that are rich are really taking advantage of this scenario. I'm starting to see that the better your economy gets, the less you're thinking about me. I'm beginning to see the nation in the south going the same way as the north. How about you, Micah? What are you seeing? Micah begins to preach in the south for the Lord. And he says, guys, you're out of line. If we keep going like this, he is going to knock us out just like he did to the north. This is a warning. And that is where we begin our study today. Micah chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. We're just going to take a couple verses at a time. It begins like this. Woe to those, that is a warning. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. What, what does that mean? What do you mean working evil on your bed? I got crumbs on my bed. Well, like, what are we talking about? Here's what it means. In poetic language, your bed is the place where you think and reflect, scheme schemes and dream dreams. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you are like me where when you lay in bed, you dream a bunch of stuff that should happen. It's super legit. I could be a rock star, right? Like that kind of stuff. Everyone will love me. You know, you have all these ideas and then you get up in the morning and reality hits and you're like, I'm not a rock star and nobody likes me. You know, it's that kind of stuff, right? Okay. But if you are one in power and you're spending your time in bed scheming how you can get more power, and if you're the wealthy thinking about how you can be more wealthy, then when you get up in the morning, what are you going to do? That's the next line. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it. You see, most of us just dream. But the people that have the power can do it. Because it is in the power of their hand, they are the dominant group. They are the influencers. What are they doing? Verse 2. They covet fields. Coveting means you really want it and you're going to get it. And they seize them. And houses. And they take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. happening today because what y'all think it stopped Uh, we're all clear it's still going right oppression and injustice is still happening in the world today so what's it going to look like because in our minds we kind of think comic booky we think that it's going to be super overt 
right? And we're going to be thinking of all this evil stuff and we're like, oh, it's in the seedy side of the city. You sure? Here's another couple questions. Do all oppressors think they are oppressors? Huh. Are we the oppressors? Hmm. Who are the bad guys? Many years ago, we had a apologetics conference here and I wasn't able to go. So I got the CDs. If you're under 20 CDs are a round thing. They have a little hole in the middle and you'd stick them in your car, right? And total waste of time. You should just download it, right? Amen. So I got the set of CDs. I still have them in my car and I remember putting it in and one of the guys was an expert in genocide. And that's a crazy thing to be an expert on. He said, all experts in genocide will tell you the same conclusion. Those that carry out genocide are average, ordinary people. So, for example, if you look at the Holocaust, you have one monster or a few monsters at the top, and then you just have regular people. Because I'll tell you, Hitler and his crew didn't do everything. They only called the orders. Everyone else just got a paycheck. If you look in Rwanda, you have some monsters at the top and average ordinary citizens everywhere else. If you look at any genocide, it's regular people just doing what they think they're supposed to do to care for their family. And they bought into the system whether they liked it or not. Ah, that's the truth. In this passage, we have land barons taking advantage in the advance yourself at all cost society. But the problem was they weren't thinking big picture and they weren't thinking of what it really costs. Hmm. Let me use some examples. I'm going to stick with the 80s and the 90s. If that's cool. All right. All my analogies apparently are coming out of there. So. Y'all remember back when there were VHS cassettes? Yeah? Big old brick things. You slide those suckers into a machine, shove the thing down, it'd pop back up. You shove it back down again. Y'all remember that? Okay, so there used to be a billion mom and pop video rental stores. Do you remember those? They're like 49er video and all these, and most of them had dumb names. So you would go in and you'd select this video cassette record, whatever it was. You could even rent the machines and stuff like that. Okay. But then came Hollywood video. That was the first kind of big one that moved into our area. But then came the monster blockbuster blockbuster came in and in no time, every single mom and pop video thing, bam, they're gone. And blockbuster just dominated everywhere. Y'all remember that? All right. Now, they, of course, ended up getting dominated by Redbox and streaming and all this stuff, right? So now all the blockbusters disappeared. Okay, so that kind of comes in waves. Same thing happened when Walmart and Target showed up. Y'all remember that? So they roll in and they're like the one-stop shop. You used to have to go to 13 different stores. Now you can buy power tools, motor oil, and your food in the same place. That's awesome. Now, I am not against Netflix and Redbox, and I'm not against Target and Walmart. I love those places. But everything comes with a cost. 
And you used to have a bunch of individual families running smaller companies and they were all working hard and they were employing a bunch of different people. And there's some goodness about having small businesses. They tend to get wiped out. Okay. All I'm saying is that everything has pro and con. There is a con to not having a Walmart in the area. There's a con to not having a target in the area, right? So once again, I'm not passing judgment. What I'm saying is everything comes at a cost. So if we want to say that Blockbuster and Target and Walmart are just good business people, you're allowed to say that. They came in, they saw an environment, they took advantage of the situation, and they made the call. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people gained their jobs, right? But were they thinking about the individuals involved? Probably not. Were they thinking about the long-term impact on society? Probably not. They were probably just trying to do good business. I think that's kind of been the case throughout history. I can tell you these land barons that God's about to rip into probably thought it's just opportunity. I'm rich. You're poor. You need to sell your land. I want to buy your land. Boom. That's called a win-win for both of us. And I can scoop up that land and I can get more and more and more because really, man, your desperation, I can help you, help you help me, right? I mean, we can be together on this. I'm not so sure all oppressors know they're oppressors. Let me give you an example. On December 29th, 1802, Thomas Jefferson, who I'm sure you all know, He is one of the most significant authors of the founding documents of America. He is a very complicated character. You're going to love him and hate him the more and more you study this guy. He is all over the map. Thomas Jefferson wrote a memorandum to the Secretary of War, Henry Dearborn, about the Indians. Now we're talking Native Americans. And they wanted land. America's government wanted land. So this is what he wrote. I pulled the original text from the letter to make sure it was accurate. He wrote this. On the Mississippi, Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold at present from our southern boundary to the Yazoo River. From the Yazoo to the Ohio River is the property of the Chickasaws, a tribe the most friendly to us. And at the same time, the most adverse to the diminution of their lands. What does that mean? There's an Indian tribe that owns some land we need. We're super good friends with them. And they're really nice, but you know what? They don't want to part with their land. So there's something we got to do about that. The methods, quote, by which we may advance towards our object will be, and he names three things. The first one, I'm going to paraphrase, and it says, we need to force them to understand that a small land of agriculture is better for them than wandering the wide plains. So they need to do it more like us, our way, and that way they'll loosen up the rest of their land so we can take it. That's the first one. Second plan, here we go. Quote, encouraging them, and especially their leading men, to run into debt for these things they need beyond their individual means of paying. 
And whenever in that situation, they will always seed lands to get themselves out of debt. The U.S. government had a very specific plan to make the Indians get into debt over their heads so that they would have to part with their land to pay their debts. That's very specific. Number three, quote, this tribe is very poor. They want necessaries with which we abound. We want lands with which they abound. And these mutual wants seem to offer fair ground of mutual supply. Do you think Thomas Jefferson saw himself as a monster? No way. He saw himself as a brilliant businessman. I think we know how this played out. I think that pretty much we have chased off all Indians into reservations. All Native Americans got the worst of the land. We got the best of the land. That's just how it went. So I think this plan ended up working out real well for one group. So here's the point. All of those that were coming in and taking over land probably saw opportunity. They saw desperate Native Americans that needed a way out of what was going on. And so they were willing to sell their land. Is that just good business or is it wrong? Y'all remember the recession, the great recession of 2007 to 11? 2007 to 11. Anybody remember how that went down? Okay, there's a bunch of reasons why it went down. But here's the super simple top portion. Here's what it says. Banks created more complex and risky mortgage instruments, lured people to buy homes they couldn't afford, and boom, it blew up. There you go. Hey, I have a loan. You have a need. Let's do that. I don't think everyone in the lending industry was going in the background, right? If only I could get an adjustable rate mortgage, you know, like that. I think most were just trying to do their job, just trying to make their payments, just trying to bring a paycheck home to their families. I don't think There was a tremendous amount of evil going on there. But what was the end result? People were taken advantage of, and ultimately it exploded in our economy. All right? Anybody heard the phrase predatory lending? I'm sure you have. Let's talk about that for a moment. Predatory lending is lending that benefits the lender and ignores the ability of the loan receiver to repay. In other words, I got to get it to you, whether or not you can repay or not. That's predatory lending. Usually they take advantage of a lack of understanding. They take advantage of desperation. They target minorities, poor, elderly, and less educated. Many of them are called payday lenders. Have you ever heard of a payday lender? A payday lender says, you need cash now. Well, how about you just pay me back when you get your paycheck? Because, I mean, you got an emergency. Dude, you got a kidney stone, brother. Well, you think you're going to wait till next Friday? I think I'll just give you the money right now. And these are things like cash and go or those types of, you know, advance America, stuff like that. Let me give you a couple ideas on how these work. Payday lenders average across the nation. The average interest rates are 391%. I don't know what your credit card is. But if it's 391%, that's an average. Okay, there's something wrong with your credit card. 
Um, so I remember what 18% is high. 36% is high, higher, right? Uh, I held on to my first credit card because it's 9%. And I was like, yes, right? I'm all excited about it. 391% on average. Here's what's interesting. In 2017, a ruling came down that stopped predatory lending and stopped the idea that you could just take advantage of someone. You had to have certain, they have to be able to repay, stuff like that. But with the new director of management and budget in 2018, he overturned it. And now it's all wide open. When it's wide open, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau who had received 10,000 complaints in three years, had filed a lawsuit against the top four perpetrators. Those top four perpetrators were charging up to 950%. They just dropped the charge because there's no point. If there's no ruling on it, they're not going to get anywhere in court. So they said, ah, forget it. 950%. I'm pretty sure those that work at Advance America are not bad people. I'm quite sure that they are individuals wanting to try to make a paycheck too. I am quite sure that they're good-hearted. I am quite sure that they're sweet. I am quite sure that they love their children. What I'm saying is, if we're part of a system out of just, it's how the world works that's not healthy for people, are we going to know it? I was talking with a young lady who sat in the second row last night. She said to me, she said, when we first as a missions team went down to Nicaragua, we were horrified to find mothers selling their daughters into prostitution. She said, and we just got all wrapped up about it. So much anger. And then we found out the rest of the story. The mom is in it as well. She has nine children and they're all barely making it. And it's how their economy works in the brickyards. It's just what they do. But does that make it good? See, what if another culture came in and they observed our culture and they said, wait, wait, wait. So your daughter has no solid identity of who she is to men because you as a dad work 80 hours a week and you never spend any time with her. That's monstrous. And we go, what do you, what do you want me to do? What do you talk? I cannot, that's the only way I make ends meet. I'm just doing, everybody's doing that. Does it make it right? Here's my point. We always look back at these Bible characters and we say things like, oh my gosh, how could they do that? I don't know. How do we do that? Sometimes it just feels normal. Like trying to ask a fish, man, does it hurt when you breathe water? The fish is like, what's that? What are you talking about? Right? Man. So how does God feel? Behold, against this family. Whose family? God's family. 
<laughs> Whoops. Now he's parting, parting out half of his family, those that follow him, and the other half that don't follow him. I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. Y'all, when I come in swinging, there's nowhere you're going to go. You shall not walk haughtily. I will humble you. For it will be a time of disaster. In that day, those you took advantage of shall take up a taunt song against you. You will moan bitterly and say we are utterly ruined. God changes the portion of our people. He removes it from me. To an apostate, foreigners, he allots our fields. Therefore, when I'm done, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. What does that mean? Man, when I'm done bringing judgment, you're not going to have any family left. So when we clear the plate, we're going to reallot all the land of Israel into families and you don't even have any family left. I just took you out. Now that's pretty extreme. God just turned the tables. Those that dominated and took other people's stuff, he came in and he took them right out. Why is God so mad? Here's why. Where, what nation are we in in this story? Israel. In Israel, land is not just land, right? It's not just about business. It's not just about acquiring. In Israel, land is legacy. Land is lineage. How do we know that? Because when they first walked into the promised land, God, by casting lots, divided the entire nation into tribes, into families, into clans, and into groups. He said, this family will own this perpetually moving forward. So when you acquire more land, what are you doing? You're taking things that what? Represent identity. You're taking connection to God's provision. You're taking Abrahamic blessing. You're taking personal ownership away. It's not just land. It's dignity. But Lord, I'm just doing business. But you're taking dignity. Well, That's their problem. If they didn't want to do it, don't sign the line. Well, hold on. You're assuming, first of all, that they have the same economic knowledge that you do. As a side note, I'm a very educated guy. I I went through econ, right? I went through economics in high school. And I still had to learn my own way through what credit cards really mean. Right? Now, let's say you didn't have econ and you don't know any of that stuff and you, all you know is you need some money for your baby surgery and you walk into a cash and go. Okay, understand, not everybody's working on the same level of education, right? So, when we start talking about this stuff, just understand, I know they're willing to sign on the line. I'm just asking you... If you go to their house and there's no food in their fridge, do they need a $5,000 vacuum? That's what I'm asking. Does that make sense? Y'all, back in the day, I worked at Wilson's Suede and Leather. That's right. (laughs) I had my long hair. And by the way, in case you're wondering, after a short amount of time, you cannot smell the leather anymore. You know, you walk in there and you're like, whoa. Okay, you can't smell it anymore. 
Just like people that serve ice cream can't taste ice cream anymore. No, that's not true. That's not true. I remember people coming in and, and this is how the jackets worked. You have pig skin, you have cow skin, you have lamb skin. These are the different levels of leather and they go up in price because it's a finer leather. And I remember somebody would slide on a lambskin. They're like, man, this is legit. And they're like, how much is this? I'm like, it's $699. And they're like, man, I can't afford $699. You know what my job was to do? Convince them that that was exactly what they needed. I was not a good salesman. <laughs> Why? Because I cared about them more than I cared about the sale. That was short-lived. Okay, so here's my point. I know they're willing to, but are they able to see the big picture? And do they have any other help? God gets really, really mad even if somebody else agrees to it. The Indians agreed to give up their land. Now, places like Atlanta, we just stole, but, but there was a lot of times there was an agreement What's so ironic is a, Micah's prophecy did not come to pass for another hundred years. When he did, God came in with the Babylonians, took out the South, and you know how he did it? The Babylonians only wanted the rich people. So he took out only the rich and reallocated all the money. And he said, oh, that's interesting. All of you that got rich off blowing out the North... You guys all rose as the cream of the crop up to the top. I scooped off the cream, threw it into Babylon, and shifted all the money back to everybody else. Don't hurt my people. My people, right? Because this is all inside Israel. This is God's kids doing it to God's kids. Ah, tough stuff. All right. The Bible's supposed to be scary to oppressors, but freeing to those that are oppressed. Y'all remember how Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount? What was that? Blessed are you if you are messed up. That is the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you if you are oppressed. Blessed are you if you are poor. Blessed are you if you are all kind of messed up. Why? Because I'm here. And I'm a good God. I'm a great Messiah. I'm the one that's going to love on you and I'm going to set you free. But at the same time, was that not also a warning? A warning shot across the bow. Warning to the oppressors. I'm here. You don't play like that in my backyard. Ah. That's why he went so head to head with the religious leaders of the day. And yet he would hang out with tax collectors and sinners. He, he settled down with those that were poor. All right. So what do we do with all this message? You think this was popular? Nope, probably not. Go ahead and pick it up in verse six. Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Nobody liked Micah's message. Why? Because he was being negative pants. Don't talk to us about that. Boy, just stick to what you know. You don't need to be talking about that. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm talking on God's behalf. So I'm going to preach. Micah begins to make their arguments for them. He knows what they're thinking. What should this be said? O house of Jacob. In other words, no, God's not going to be mad at us. We're his kids. Has the Lord grown impatient? Nah, God's always going to cut us slack. 
Are these his deeds? Is this really how God works? He's not going to be mad at his own people. Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Don't I praise God a lot with my mouth? Micah's like, yeah, there's a lot of talk, not a whole lot of action. Verse 8, Micah says, Lately my people, true Israel, those that are being oppressed, we've risen up as an enemy against you. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people... You drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children, you take away my splendor forever. You know what? Arise and go, you oppressors. There is no place to rest here. Because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies like the false prophets are doing, they'll say, I'll preach to you of wine and strong drink. Now he would be a preacher for this kind of people. I understand that sometimes I preach about things that get into your business. I just need you to know that that's my business. I understand that it, that I want to bring you encouragement and hope and I also want to bring you challenge. And sometimes these things are a little bit harsh. I get that. But aren't we supposed to change? Aren't we supposed to lay before the Lord and go, God, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and then lead me into what the righteousness that you have. But, but here's the thing. Uh, Let me just ask you this question. How are you going to align your minds with the perspective of the word of God? If pastors avoid talking about societal issues, where are you going to go? You going to go to Fox news? You going to go to CNN? Where are you going to go? You think they have that your spiritual best interest in mind. Listen, the pastors here and myself, we are not always right. You need to filter everything we say. You need to match it up against the word of God. We're not infallible. A lot of times we're not even right. But here's what I'll tell you. We have your best interest in mind. What we're trying to teach is that all of life, not just religious life, all of life needs to be looked through the lens of Scripture. You always consult the word of God before you consult commentary. Does that make sense? So what we're trying to do is create a grid by which you can look at all societal issues. You go, stop talking about party politics. Man, I am not into party politics. I have zero interest in party politics. The problem is that for some of us in this church, everything is party politics for you. But it's not. I'm not interested in party politics. I'm interested in people. And if it's human issues, I need to address it. So recently, my pastoral team and I have dealt with these issues. Racism, immigration, refugees, gun control, abortion, death penalty, war, modern science, history of our nation, take a knee, legalization of marijuana, foster care and adoption, homosexuality, separating families, and the list goes on. But here's what's interesting. I can come up here and I can preach to you not to lust and talk about your sin and you'll let me do it all day long. But the minute I step on a societal issue, we get blowback. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't talk about that. Just talk about the Bible. What do you think I'm preaching about? It is in the Bible. 
What I'm trying to suggest is that I should be more gentle and I should lead better. What I, what I need to say is all of us, before we're anything else, we are Christians. That means whatever God wants to say, he should be able to trickle into every bit of our lives. You should look through every societal issue, every political issue first through the lens of Jesus. If Jesus can't stamp his name to it, you ought to be very cautious in adopting it. Make sense? So are we always right? We are not, but we are certainly trying to look at it from a godly perspective, right? Here's what matters most to us. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God means anywhere here on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We want more of that, yes? We want Christianity to be the salt and light of the world that in our workplace, in our schools, everywhere we go with our friends, we are the living embodiment of Jesus himself. We need to be in every conversation, seasoning it with the truth of the gospel, having the bigger picture in mind and saying, Lord, above all, I don't know what my society believes. I care what you believe. And therefore, I'm going to slice and dice anything that comes my way by looking through the lens of the Bible. This is our job. Why? Because if we don't, we will accidentally become part of the problem and not the solution. You will probably never see yourself as an oppressor. You'll probably see yourself as a businesswoman or a businessman. What I'm saying is, can we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in the way everlasting? That's the goal, right? So here's how he finishes. He finishes with hope. He says, We can all get discouraged and go, wow, I'm always going to get it wrong. Hold on. Who are you following? If you're following Jesus, we're good. Watch this. Verse 12, God says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, meaning my true people that follow me. I got you. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold. Like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He, God, who opens the breach, goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it, and their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Here's the hope. In this crazy navigation of this world, God says, follow me. Follow me. Wherever there's an obstacle, I can break through it. Wherever there is resistance, I can overcome it. If you're in my train, we can get out of this. We can get to anywhere we need to for abundant life. Just come with me. Don't venture out on your own. Don't correct me. Just walk with me. I can get you to victory. God always goes first. Jesus said, I am going away 
Don't be anxious. I'm going to go prepare a place for you so you're going to be safe with me. God is interested in the safety of His people. He's interested in the abundant blessing of His people. And so He's saying, listen, please stay close to me. Please stay close to me. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. We have the victory in our hands. Do not let anything else distract you. Stay close to me. Know me. Walk with me. Live with me. Let my Holy Spirit lead you. Because as I march out, no enemy can stand against us. Amen? Can I have the prayer team come on up here? I think in any message there is encouragement and there is challenge. I'm going to pray both for us today. This is where you think to yourself, could you hold the second one? Right? I'd like the burger, not the fries. That'd be great. But, but I think here's the reality. The reality is I believe that Bridgeway is an eager congregation for the truth of God. I believe that we are an eager congregation for transformation into greater power in the Lord. I believe that we are willing to allow God to do surgery on us if it would remove that which is toxic to us. I think that's who we are. Let's keep going in that way. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have sat underneath Your Word. We have listened to Your Holy Spirit God, I pray that there would be hope and encouragement and strength and passion to be led by you in all things. That, Lord, that we would be the solution in our society. That, God, that we would be the ones standing for what is good and right and holy. And Lord, that we would be the ones that are overly loving. That we would be the ones that say, my God means everything to me. Lord, some of us, we're struggling a little bit. Some of us are feeling oppressed. Some of us are feeling convicted. Some of us are struggling. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that beautiful work. That you would sweep across our sanctuary, across everyone listening to my voice. And there would be freedom. God, I pray for the anointing of this altar here with each and every prayer warrior that you have asked to stand up here. I pray, Lord, for those of us that you have agitated something in our spirit and we need greater breakthrough. Lord, that that breakthrough would happen right here, right now. Father, would you set our people free in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.